Good morning, Merry Christmas. Glad you are here, excited about uh, our Christmas season. Jerry did a fantastic job last week. Please, if you haven't listened to it, please listen to it uh, online about the peace that we have at Christmas, the peace that we have in Christ at this season and uh, other seasons. But this morning, I wanna talk to you about the subject title of hope in the midst of this season. The hope of Christmas is the title of the message. I know that when you use that word, I know that sometimes when I go out to eat, I can hear, especially my younger two boys go, I really hope we're going to be able to get a drink today. Because you see, when you go out to eat with a family of six, the drinks at $2.50 a piece, that is crazy. And so, no, water for you. We will eat and you will have water. And then I say, I'll have a Diet Coke. <laughs> I wish that wasn't true. <laughs> And, and, and then, so, so sometimes you could sit there and say, I hope, and, and then maybe, maybe if you remember, if you're older and married, but maybe if you're younger on this front row, like, oh, I hope they like me as much as I like them. Use that word, I hope. You know, there's sometimes where, oh, I hope I'm going to get this for Christmas. I hope that that's the case. We have the name Hope that's a, a title to uh, a lot of churches. I remember when I was getting ready to plant a church several years ago, they said, okay, here's the deal, the name of the church. Do not use the name Hope, because it's everywhere. A lot of people have used the name Hope for a church. Also, the name Hope is the name of, of a lady. There's, that name is, 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 there's a lot of people that have named their child Hope. But, but let me give you a, a definition, a Webster's definition of hope, and then I want to give you a biblical definition of hope. So here is, a, here is a Webster's definition of hope. It's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, a feeling of trust, want something to happen or be the case. That's all verb form, all uh, language forms right there, noun, verb, adjectives right there. It's a want something to happen or to be the case. But a biblical definition takes it a little bit different than just simply wishful thinking. It's way different than just wishful thinking because the biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation. It's a confident expectation because who is the subject of hope? And I would even suggest to you who is the name of hope and that is King Jesus. And that's why we can have hope and define it in such a way as it is a confident expectation. I even like this, hope is a firm assurance regarding things that are unclear and uncertain. Hope is not simply stating that you know all of the answers or that you can articulate all of the answers, but it is simply saying, I have a confident expectation in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the everlasting peace that he gives. And so I believe that in order for our weary world to rejoice, like our message series declares, in order for us to have this peace that God promises, in order to have this hope that God promises, we got to stop and take a look at what the scripture teaches. And that's why we're going to jump into Galatians chapter four, four through five. Now, I'm going to read the verse. I've got three points that we're going to make from these two verses. Okay, and I'm also going to really help us unpack the context of why are we having a Christmas message in Galatians and not Luke chapter two. Well, Jerry was in Luke chapter two last week. He was also in Isaiah nine. And then, of course, we'll probably bring that back in with Pastor Tyner and Jerry speaking this coming weekend, or, uh, a week from now at our Christmas Eve service. But today we're going to jump into Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 5. These two verses, we have three points. I'm going to go ahead and read it. 
And then I'm going to give you some context over what was going on for the reason for this to be written, this letter to be written, and why this verse is so important then and why it's important now. So here's the verse. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And see, I believe our text today provides us the hope by which we need at this time of the year and all years. And so it's important for us to understand what's going on in Galatians that would help Paul write this verse and how we could use it as hope, as our verse for this morning to declare that we have hope in Christ during this Christmas season and for all time. So here's what's going on. The book of Galatians is being written to a group of people that really were founded on this, this formula. They were founded on this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and you said... Amen. That is the gospel. That is the Bible. Paul had planted this church, and what was going on, like a lot of, a lot of times we do, is we kind of drift a little bit. We drift, and the Galatian churches were drifting. The formula had been rewritten because of these group of people called the Judaizers were coming in, and they were changing this formula. So they were saying to the Gentiles, in order for you to become a follower of Jesus, then here is the new formula. It's Jesus plus observance of festivals, eating this amount of food, circumcision, and that equals everything. Jesus plus this, 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 and this equals everything. Paul comes to sit there and to declare to them, you were bound by the law and you were in slavery. Why on the earth would you go back? He is trying to re reorient them around the biblical definition of salvation, which is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if we don't get that right, then there is no hope at Christmas or even for us to gather in here every Sunday. It is the message of the Bible. It, needs, it, it should be the message of your Christmas celebration. It is the message of every time we come in here every year. I was at the barber shop. And they were asking me a question. So are you ready for the Christers? Christmas and Easter only. And I said, hey, you know what? We have one message we share all year long. It is the message of the gospel. Every Christmas you hear the same thing. Why? Because it should be the same thing. It is the message that Jesus sent his son, born of a virgin, into a stable in Bethlehem. And that brings great hope. And so here's what I want us to look at. So the message of Galatians, or the, the reason that we have this verse is they were reorienting themselves or drifting away from biblical salvation, and Paul comes to correct their error. Why? Because their hope was at stake. And then we're going to take this verse right here, and we're going to take a look at how Paul was reshaping their belief system or reorienting their belief system around the gospel, and that's going to be where we land today. So I have three points. The title of the message is called The Hope of Christmas. The first thing that I want you to see is there is hope in his timing. There is hope in his timing. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that this would be a great encouragement to you today when you sit there and you think about the sovereign timing of the Lord. Here it says in this, it says this right here, but when the fullness of time had come, we're gonna stop right there, but when the fullness of time had come, He's declaring that he's sending Jesus. And so we have to recognize that God's sovereign timetable took place at this time. And you have to understand what's going on in the culture at the time to really understand why was this the fullness of time or why did God send Jesus at this time or what was going on in the culture of the time during the Babylonian captivity. 
Uh, Israel had once and for all forsook their idolatry that they had bowed down to. They said no to it. Now listen, they had a lot of other issues and a lot of other problems. But see, the time was right for Jesus to come in, and it was right religiously. There were some great things that had going on. There's a guy by the name of Ezra. And what he had done is he had combined, and we had a full, the full Old Testament that are full of prophecies about the coming Messiah. There were synagogues that were, that were built. There were places of worship that were being built. And they would be able to go to these places, hear about this coming Messiah, and know who he is. So it was a perfect time, religiously speaking. It was not only that, it was a perfect time, culturally speaking. What was going on is Alexander the Great, during the Roman Empire, established the Greek language as a language that was rather universal at the time. So if you were to send people out, which is what the church does on a daily basis, or should be doing on a daily basis, is we gather and then we scatter. There's a little ax for you right there. And so what happens is, when they were able to gather together and go out, culturally speaking, they were able to communicate in a universal language at that time, so there was no greater time, there was no greater time culturally along with religiously speaking. And another part of the time is, is the Roman Empire. There was, a, there was a pact that was signed. It was called Pax Romana. And I'm looking down here at these high school students, and, it, and I'm looking at them saying, it means Roman peace. And so they were able to get through the roads in a safe way. So these people were sent out to go and to share, or they would be able to share, and their lives would not necessarily be at stake to get the gospel out into the world. And so we're talking about this time of what is going on, and we see very clearly that there was a religious aspect, that the timing of God was, was beautiful. We're looking at this culturally, and that the culture, the language, and we're looking at the, the, the freedom to go from roads and travel roads, and, and, and that was incredible. And so the first thing that I want you to be, make sure that you're aware of is that God's timing is absolutely perfect because he's perfect. God's timing is absolutely perfect because he is perfect. He is not going to be one nanosecond early and neither is he going to be one nanosecond late. And sometimes we define his time by our circumstance and wonder what in the world are you doing? And I'm here to tell you right now that we cannot define his timing, his perfect timing through our circumstances. We must, we must interpret his timing through his character and who he is and he is perfect and he is good and his timing gives us hope. And you're, you're sitting down, you might be sitting here saying, hey, I, I, I boldly want to say to you that from your birth until your, from your first breath until your last breath, God is absolutely sovereignly in control. And you're sitting here looking at me going, Matt, do you have any idea what's going on in your life? And I would sit there and say to you, I have a pretty good, a good idea of what's going on in my life. And I can only sit there and say that you're probably there as well with just stuff and heaviness. And I want to say to you that his timing is perfect. From everlasting to everlasting, it is perfect. One would think that if we were simply just to do a study in the Bible on the sovereignty of God, that we'd say, oh, it's good. He's sovereign. His timing is good. I'm good. I'm hearing crickets right now. <laughs> you know? Be because that, that our human nature can, can make waiting on God so incredibly difficult. It is unbelievably difficult, and because of, it, because of the modern technology that we live in and the access of information that we have and the limited ability, the, the, the limited um, aspect of waiting on things, 
makes it difficult to really trust sometimes. I want, to read, I want to give you a couple of scriptures regarding something to build out this point that there is hope in his timing. Uh, Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. It is actually called, I'm not trying to impress you, but I want you to know this. It's called Proto-Evangelion. It is the basic right there, the de- declaration that there is a Messiah that is going to come and he will not allow Satan to win. And here's what it says in Genesis 3.15. Again, this is right after the fall. I mean, this is right after. And he takes a look. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Listen, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's a declaration of the defeat of Satan. He will not be able to rise above. And here's what, here's what these Old Testament folks are, here's what the Old Testament is declaring, and here's what these followers of God are understand. They know these verses. They know this verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, for, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That is a declaration. They knew this verse. That's 400 years before the Christ child was born in Bethlehem. And Micah chapter 5 verse 2 is a bold declaration, bold declaration of where this Messiah would come from. And it says in Micah chapter 5, Micah 5 2, it says, but you, O Bethlehem, and I am not going to say that word. I'm going to skip over that place. You who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So you have a group of followers. You have probably shepherds and wise men and you have people who are understanding the Jewish culture. You understand these verses. They know these verses and here it is. And then what took place? After the Old Testament, we come into a period known as the intertestamental period where there was 400 years of silence. 400 years, and God did not send a prophet to speak on his half, on behalf. There was no word from God. There was 400 years of silence. And then, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And I'm sitting here to tell you right now, I can guarantee you, you've not been, and I don't want to water down your circumstance or your situation, but God has not been quiet for 400 years in your life. Yes, he has been quiet, but yes, his timing is perfect. And you might be sitting here, sitting there going, Matt, you don't understand something. I want a job and I don't have a job and I'm hearing crickets. I've been out of work for a long time and I, I, I don't, I don't have a job. You're probably, you might be sitting here going, hey, listen, I'm single and I don't have a relationship and I'm not dating anyone and I want, I want to have, I want to be married. You might be looking at it going, hey, you know what? I am married, but it's not very good. 
and you're wanting and you're begging and you're pleading with God, God, show up. And here's what I want to let you know something. Please, please don't forget this. Don't, don't, don't miss this. The Bible says in the fullness of time, which is a bold declaration that he is bigger than your situation or circumstance, that he is in control of absolutely everything. And I don't have a lot of time and I really don't know how to explain that to you, but I want to boldly declare to you that he has come to give you hope in his timing. He has come to give you hope in his timing and it is there. You might be wrestling with anxiety might be wrestling with depression but go back to our go back to our biblical definition right here hope is a confident expectation it is a firm assurance regarding things that are clear and unknown because of where our hope rests in it rests in a holy god and that is who we're going to talk about in point two there is hope in his timing before i go to point two I look around this congregation here and I look at five years ago, a lot of you, I had no idea who you were. I didn't even know our past didn't cross. I look around and I see Littleton, North Carolina and I see, I, I see Cary, North Carolina and I see Chicago and I see New Jersey and I, you got all kinds of people from all over the place but here's what I'm telling you, in the fullness of time, which is his sovereignty, he has gathered us to call Northwest Community Church our home and this area, our place to herald his name in the fullness of time. We're not here by mistake. We're here out of purpose to make much of him. And in the fullness of time, I don't know where you came from. You know, I'm from Connecticut. Jerry's from New Jersey. You guys are from all over the place. And all of a sudden, we gather in here today because of his timing. Why weren't we here 10 years ago? His timing. And we're here because he is sovereign. We're here because he is perfect. And we're here to make much of him. And that's good stuff. And there's hope in his sending. Here's the second one. There are a lot of narratives right now, but I want you to know something, that there is one narrative of the Bible, and it is this. In the fullness of time, here it is, God sent forth his son. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, and you can have hope in his timing, and you can have hope in his sending. And who did he send? He sent King Jesus. That's who came in that manger. That's who came in that little city of Bethlehem. And that's good news, and that is hope. But here's what's going on in the culture that we live in. There are many false narratives that we have that argue or compete with the narrative of the Bible that God sent forth his son. And what happens is it robs us of the, of the joy and of the hope that we can have in the message that God sent forth his son. And I want to go through some of these narratives for you so that you will be aware of them and so that you will be able to stand up and use this message, this narrative. The hope of this narrative is that God sent forth his son. You'll be able to use that to argue and defend against these false narratives that so easily distract and destroy and eliminate our hope or try to eliminate our hope. The first false narrative that I want you to see is the, the, the narrative of consumerism. Because consumerism basically is defined that, hey, life means you have to have the kind of stuff that other people will look at you and say, that person has value because of the stuff that they have. We spent $6.59 billion on Cyber Monday this year, an all-time record. I'm not saying that for us to feel guilty about it, because I have to be honest with you, Cyber Monday is really convenient. Let's just be honest. But what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to paint the picture for you here is that there is a narrative 
of consumerism that is ravaging us and robbing us of the narrative of the scripture that says in the fullness of time God sent forth his son and our hope is at stake. Because stuff does not complete, only Jesus does. And this, there's another narrative that is competing with the biblical narrative, and that is what's called secularism. Secularism says that there is no God, there's no magic, there is all there is is what you can see, what you can taste, and what you can touch, and, and what you can verify. Life is about you live and then you die, and that's it, and that's all there is. The sooner you dial into that, the happier you will be. This belief, secularism, is a belief that what takes place is that you shame people of faith. It's unbelievable that Tim Tebow would take a knee at a football game and pray, and all of the conflict that's happened this year and all that kind of stuff, but here's a guy who's gonna kneel before a game and pray, Tim Tebow, a couple of years ago. There is, there's another issue, another narrative that competes with the biblical narrative that says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, and that narrative is the, is the narrative of nationalism. And, and really, nationalism basically is a declaration that, hey, all we need to do is to keep our own nation pure. That's the purity of the nation is what we are on the world to do, and that would make the world a better place, to keep it pure. Then there's another narrative, and it's called progressivism. And that, that idea is that if we just keep, keep making forward progress, if we just make forward progress and we reject yesteryear, we'll somehow work to utopia. We'll somehow get there. And that is a narrative that is, that is a contradiction of the biblical narrative of King Jesus coming in to, to obey the Father and rescue the sinners. That is something. And then there is the last one, probably the most prevalent, is the idea of cynicism. It's the narrative of cynicism, which basically says nothing can be trusted. Everybody is in it for their own gain. Nothing is really beautiful. Behind everything that is beautiful is something that is completely ugly. It's a kind of cynical twisting for our souls that doubts anything that is beautiful and good. And these are at war against that biblical narrative that says Jesus is enough. And he came in, the, in a manger to declare that he was enough. And so I would say this, from time to time, we're going to be wrapped up in these false narratives, and I would encourage you, and I would Im implore you, and I would beg you to reorient your, your life, your, your priorities around the narrative of the gospel. See things through the lens of the gospel. See things through the lens of a baby who was born in the fullness of time to come and rescue us. See it through that lens. So it's the message of hope. So there is hope in his timing, there is hope in his sending, and there is hope in his redeeming. There's hope in his redeeming. Look at verse, part of verse five, it says, born of a woman. Raise your hand if you're in here and you're born of a woman. Ah, that's all of us, right? And it's a bold declaration, what, of, of God's, of, of, of the Christ time, that Jesus is hum, humanity, he has come in human form, born in that stable in Bethlehem, and he's coming so that he can do, identify with us, but rise above that standard by which he needs to answer those 613 laws that must be 
perfectly obeyed. And Jesus, fully God and fully man, came in and obeyed all 613 of them, took the form of a servant, put sin on his shoulders, went to a cross after 33 years after coming into the world to kick Satan's victory to the curb and stand and sit on a tree and yell and yell and declare it is finished. So when he comes into that stable and he comes into that, that, that manger scene and the wise men and, and the shepherds and all of them are just overwhelmed and Joseph and Mary, who as we learned last week, had their peace interrupted so that others could hear and see. And we come down and we see, wow, here's what he did. He came, he was sent to do what he was sent to do and that is to seek and to save that which was lost. I simply do not mean to give this illustration to eliminate you non-sports people. So I'm going to try to give this illustration to you so that you will all be involved in this. But there in, in baseball, in Major League Baseball, there was a massive trade this week. And so what happened is, is John Carlos Stanton had an opportunity and, and the Marlins sent John Carlos Stanton, the guy who hit more home runs this year in Major League Baseball than anyone, and is probably one of the top baseball players in the world today. He was sent to New York City. And I want to let you know something, that if he doesn't show up, that's going to be a problem. Now here's the point. Jesus was sent into the town of Bethlehem, but most importantly, into your life. And not only this, you can guarantee because of who he is that he will show up and he will do something in your life. You can take it to the bank. You can depend on him to reconcile the brokenhearted. You can depend on him to call him and ask him to heal in Jesus' name. He can do what he said that he was going to do. Just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. That's our application from that. He came to redeem. The word redeem means to buy back. And so what the problem was is that there was a great chasm in your life and my life between getting to God. And God the Father is a relational God. He is relational and desires to have a relationship with us. You know this. You've taught this. You've heard this before. He desires to have a relationship. But there was a giant chasm of sin that separated us from the Father of the universe, God himself. And so in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son. He was, he, was, he was called a son first, and then he was a baby. He came as a baby. He grew as a man, not just a man, but fully God and fully man. He came humbly to a stable in Bethlehem. And as I said, at 33 years old, went to a stable and declared it's finished. And that is why this Christmas we can have hope, because there is hope. There is hope in his timing. There is hope in his sending. And there is hope in his redeeming. I got an illustration that I want to close things out with. I want to take you back to August the 5th, 2010. Maybe some of you are aware of what happened that day in the, in the country of Chile. There was a massive mine explosion. On that day, a collapsed mine, a collapsed mine in the main ramp of the San Jose mine left 33 miners trapped 2,300 feet below the ground. Say it again, 33 miners trapped 2,300 feet underground. Now, I'm going to stop right there and just tell you right now that that's a bad day, okay? And if you've ever heard of a guy named Tim, Tim Hawkins, 
I, I want you to make sure that you understand, parents, this is a great parenting tool for you. That if your kids are saying they're having a bad day, just refer to the Chilean miners. You know what I'm saying? It's so terrible. They're late for the movie. This is the worst day ever. <laughs> I doubt very seriously that that is in comparison to what these miners were going through. So here we are. We have 33 miners trapped 2,300 feet underground. The Empire State Building stands 1,250 feet high. But if you take the antenna on the top, it's 1,454 feet. So let's just take a picture at 1,000 feet to the Empire State Building, and that's where they are. They're under all of that, and they're looking up. And what are they saying? They're saying, hey, listen, give me a shovel. I'm going to dig my way out. Give me a pick. I've got this. I'm going to take care of it. You know what I'm saying? We're going to have a Bible say, no, no, here's what they're doing. They're saying, we are in a desperate situation. There is no way for us down here to get up there because we need someone up there to help us get out of here. And so they didn't request. They didn't request a shovel. They didn't request a pick. They surrendered themselves to the folks that were up there to help them get from where they were to over there. Massive revival broke out by many accounts. Massive re revival. They were all kinds of people sending down Bibles and dedicating Bibles to these folks. And the place where the rescue site was, the citizens gathered with the rescuers and they took a flag and they wrote on it, La Esperanza. That's my Spanish. I did the best I could. But what that means in English is hope. They're saying this is a place of hope. Why? Because we're calling on God. That's what many of the accounts are going for this indication is that all of the stories, all of the accounts are saying that they were begging for God to do something. They're down in a rubble. They're down 2,300 feet under the ground. 69 days later, after multiple attempts, they were able to drill and reach the miners. And at 11.58, 69 days later, after 15 minutes of this tiny little capsule, was lowered down into this tube, and one miner got in, and he came up all through that rubble because someone up there rescued the ones down there. And they rescued them one at a time. And in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And we know that his timing is perfect. His sending is perfect. His sending gives us hope. And he redeems us. And not only that, he comes for you one at a time. Because why? The father declared, Jesus declared before he died, I am to seek and to save that which was lost. The message of Christmas is this. You are in a difficult situation. You are separated from a beautiful and holy God and there is nothing in the world that you can do about it. And the scripture teaches, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to redeem, to do what we could not do for ourselves. And that Northwest Community Church, that is hope. That gives us peace, and that gives us hope. I don't know what your Christmas is going to look like this year, 
But my prayer is that it would not, yes, you certainly would have traditional things that you do, but I really pray in Jesus' name that you would be wrapped up by his goodness and by his grace and that you would truly have hope like you've never had before and that we come into 2018 and we are ready to herald this beautiful thing far and wide. Because in Bethlehem, a baby was born. And on Calgary, a savior was crucified. But there's a manger in 1 Corinthians 15. It says he died, he was buried, and what happened again? He rose again. And he did it humbly, and that is our hope. Let's pray. God, in Jesus' name, I come to you right now, and I'm asking you and begging you, if there's anybody in here today that is not, does not have a relationship with you, does not know you, God, I pray that they would see that their sin, although is offensive to you, but you are a loving and merciful God that they would repent and believe and come running back to you. God, if they've been far away from you but are a believer, I pray that they would rededicate themselves and give their, give, put their faith in you and trust in you and that, God, you would remind them of the hope that, you, that is only possible in you and through you. I love you, God. I thank you for the opportunity to stand up here today and to herald this message. Pray that this message would be used far and wide so that people will be encouraged to know that there is hope and there is hope in Christ and only in Christ. Let us know that that is the narrative in the story of the Bible. Let us not get away from that or lose sight of it. You are good. I love you. In Jesus' name.